Welcome to Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. Today is Pride Sunday, and we start our three-part sermon series, Gay is Good, what I have learned from being an LGBTQ pastor. Join us for the message, Shame and Pride. worship here at Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. Today is Pride Sunday, the beginning of Pride Month, and we're going to be starting our three-part sermon series today, Gay is Good, What I Have Learned from Being an LGBTQ Pastor. And today's message is going to be about shame and pride. Now, some of you may have been able to catch the story that uh, Channel 8 WFAA did on our church uh, on Friday. And if you didn't get a chance to see it, we're about to show it again. The crowd was pressing in. Behind the doors of Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, the feeling of the Holy Spirit. Its sanctuary is known as a safe space. They caught so many fish. And Reverend Jane Grainer wants people to know all are welcome here. I just know God is with us because of everything that we've been through. Pastor Jane, as she's commonly called, is the lead pastor at Trinity UMCD. She knows a lot about church and acceptance. I have a real passion for this because I grew up in the church and I was in high school when I began to realize that I was gay. And I knew that being gay in the church is not something that's usually uh, accepted. The path to the pulpit wasn't always smooth. Pastor Jane believed by the time she finished college and seminary, gay clergy would be more accepted in the church. She found out that journey would take much longer than she expected. Every door was closed to me and I would try to go to this door and it was closed. And I sat there in the dark for a while with all the doors closed but before any windows were open. By the time Pastor Jane had her first call to preach to the time she was ordained in 2019, it was 40 years. A pioneer believed to be the first openly gay pastor ordained in the southern jurisdiction of the United Methodist Church. One of the things I really want is for young people who are part of the LGBTQ community to know that being in ministry in the church is a possibility for them. Pastor Jane and church members say Trinity's mission is to be inclusive, accepting and welcoming of a variety of people from different races, cultures, backgrounds and experiences. And for the first time, this church will participate in Dallas's Pride Fest activities at Fair Park this weekend. What I want the community to hear, there are many churches out there that are fully inclusive and fully welcoming. We need to get the word out better than we do now. In Duncanville, I'm Damon Fernandez. Um, it was wonderful being at Pride Fest yesterday. I went out to get some um, loaded fries because I was really, really hungry. <laughs> and this young man just ran up to me and hugged me and he says, you're that gay pastor on TV. <laughs> and several people that I talked to um, had seen the show. And one couple came up to me and said, we weren't going to come today because we were scared of the protesters. But then we saw your story. And we decided that this is where we needed to be today, and that was God, what God was telling them to do today. So it was, we, we had a great time yesterday. We talked to literally hundreds and hundreds of people. And it was just great to be there. We made connections with so many. And I hope many of you that I met yesterday are listening in, because I loved meeting and talking with you yesterday. It was just fantastic. 
Our scripture today shall come from Psalm 139, verses 1 through 18. Listen now to the word of God. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so high that I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light around me become night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. For it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works that I know very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes beheld my unformed substance. In your book were written all the days that were formed for me when none of them as yet existed. How weighty to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! I try to count them. They are more than the sand. I come to the end. I am still with you. This is the word of God for the people of God. I remember exactly where I was and exactly what I was doing, the precise moment that it first entered my conscious mind that I was gay. I was in high school cafeteria talking with friends. It was about 8.30 in the morning, and the student council was set to go to a leadership conference at UT Arlington. And as we waited to board the bus, I was talking with the other students. And one of the students told us about a mutual friend who had graduated the previous year and told us that she had recently come out as gay. And there was something about hearing that one fact that made something in my brain just kind of go click. That's it. That's what I am. I'm gay. Now I have a name for this difference that I have felt my entire life. The rest of the day, I must say, was a complete blur. The leadership conference was lost on me because this one self-revelation completely dominated my thoughts and will continue to dominate my thoughts for quite some time. The days became weeks and weeks became months and those months even became years as I tried to think through every single ramification of what this one fact about my life, how that would make a difference in all the other aspects 
of my life. So this first thought then for me inaugurated this odyssey of self-discovery and theological reflection. And it sent me deeper and deeper into the mysteries of God and faith and morality. For one thing, from that very first moment, I had to wrestle immediately with what it meant to be a leader in the church while also being gay. Because in high school, I was the president of my youth group at church. So I've been dealing with being a leader in the church while also being gay from the very beginning of this journey. And I believe that this is indicative of what I think is a very fundamental truth. Above all else, coming out is a profoundly spiritual journey. It is a spiritual journey first and foremost. Coming out will alter your relationships with your family, with your friends, with your coworkers, with your church. It'll change the relationship you have with God and the relationship you have with yourself. For many years, my brother's husband, yes, my brother is gay too, my brother's husband Jim and I led a six to seven week coming out workshop called The Journey. And Jim and I purposely always held The Journey in a church because we wanted to counter the impression that so many LGBTQ people have that church can only be a place of judgment. And we wanted to show them that it's possible for a church to be a place of love and acceptance. Now for what I estimate, approximately 80% of our participants, for that 80%, faith and religion were major concerns of theirs. And I would say for about 20%, it was the main concern that they brought into that workshop. And I might add, among our participants, there was a wide variety, representatives from every Christian tradition, and we had, we had uh, Jews and Muslims and Hindus and Buddhists and agnostics and atheists and those who called themselves spiritual but not religious. Each workshop generally averaged between 10 and 12 people. And one year, we had a workshop, workshop that was attended by three Muslim lesbians. I wouldn't have thought there were three Muslim lesbians in the entire Metroplex. But I was mistaken. There's actually quite a few. And I found out from them that oftentimes Muslim families struggle just like Christian families do with all the faith aspects of being LGBTQ. Now, unfortunately, one of the legacies of the church's frequent rejection of LGBTQ folks is that these children of the church grow up harboring a great deal of shame at being either gay or trans. On the second session of this journey workshop, we do a group exercise where everyone tries to brainstorm all the myths and stereotypes that they've ever heard about being gay or trans. And they, they, they uh, do this popcorn style as one of the leaders tries to write them all on the whiteboard. And the stereotypes, they, they come out very fast and furious, so fast and furious it can be really difficult to keep up with writing those on the board. Particularly for me, because I was always left-handed, I was always awkward. And after a while, people were joking and laughing and making fun at the utter ridiculousness of most of these stereotypes. And then afterwards, we would take a short break. When we came back, we gave each individual piece of paper and told them 
to look at the board and to write down the five myths or stereotypes written there that bothered them the most, the ones that made them the most angry or the most sad. You see, most of the stereotypes that are up there were just silly. I mean, you had things like all gay men are hairdressers and all lesbians are PE teachers. But there are always some of those stereotypes that are written up there that are deeply hurtful. You can't be a true Christian or a true Muslim if you're LGBTQ. LGBTQ people are an abomination. If you are gay or trans, you must be a child molester. God hates fags. You are going to spend eternity in hell. Those are the ones that people write down. And while there are peals of laughter as we brainstorm the stereotypes, people get very, very quiet and very serious as they're writing down these ones that hurt them the most. We then talk about how these stereotypes have led to unwarranted shame and self-loathing. We talk about all the ways that we have sometimes let these stereotypes imprison us. At the end of the session, we put a trash can in the middle of the circle. And we say, when you're ready, when you're ready to no longer let these false and hurtful messages dictate your self-esteem and your self-image, when you're ready to let them go, then we invite you to throw them away. Some participants immediately get up and they throw the paper away in that trash can. Others sit there for a while and then they crumple their paper up and they do it like a free throw basketball shot. Sometimes they make it, sometimes they don't. If they don't make it, they have to get up and put it back in the, in the trash can. I've seen people get angry, very angry, and go to the trash can, tear that paper into a thousand little pieces, and throw it in that trash can with gusto. Still others just sit there, not knowing what they want to do. Some even begin to cry. They honestly feel that if they throw away that paper, somehow God is going to strike them down with lightning. And it's only after they have mustered every ounce of courage they possibly can that they will get up and go over and throw that paper away. And then oftentimes they start crying again. Only this time it's with a giddy sense of relief that God did not strike them dead and perhaps they really don't have to live with this shame and this self-loathing any longer. Out of the hundreds of people who have taken the Journey Workshop, there has only been one participant who could not bring herself to throw away that paper. Instead, she got up and she left the room in tears. And I prayed for her so hard that week that she would be able to make her, find her way back. So that, those experiences I've had leading that workshop is part of the reasons that I wanted to do this sermon series. The name of our sermon series is Gay is Good, Lessons I Have Learned as an LGBTQ Pastor. We're going to talk about shame and pride this week. We're going to talk about fear and courage next week. And the week after that, we're going to talk about anger, the good, the bad, and the ugly. I've been a pastor now for almost 10 years, but I've never actually preached specifically on LGBTQ issues. I've talked about them, uh, particularly if they were pertinent to whatever my sermon was about, but I've never preached directly on them, so I thought it was about time. 
I want to tell you what this sermon series is not going to be about. We're not going to go over the so-called clobber passages of the Bible, those very few Bible verses that many interpret as forbidding all same-sex relationships. There are already many, many excellent resources dealing with those particular Bible verses, and I saw no cause to replicate that. But if, you are very, if you're interested in that, uh, please let us know, and I'd be happy to direct those resources to you. What we are going to talk about are the emotional and the spiritual dimensions of being LGBTQ and what I have gleaned from my journey with God. As I said today, we're going to talk about shame and pride. You know, June is always Pride Month, and this is Pride Sunday here at Trinity. And yesterday, as I was saying earlier, our church made this great showing at Pride Festival at Fair Park. It was, it was the first time we had been there, and uh, we had a blast. Um, it was very tiring, though. I had worn these... Um, I, I was very proud of my rainbow tennis shoes that I wore all day yesterday, only to find that they hurt my feet after only an hour or two, and I was on my feet all day long. I thought about wearing them today, and I said, I just can't do that. I've just got to wear my regular shoes today. But we had a great time, and we talked to some great people out there. One of the things that struck me um, was that many people came by and just thanked us for being there. Just thank you for showing up and being able to crush that stereotype that all Christians are anti-gay or anti-trans. And we were happy, by the way, to break that particular stereotype. But you know, even though it's Pride Month, for a lot of people who've been raised Christian, celebrating pride can seem a little uncomfortable. Because we've been taught that pride is a sin. Sometimes we've been taught that it's the worst of sins. We've been taught that pride is what brought about the downfall of Satan, what brought about the downfall of Adam and Eve. We're all familiar with Proverbs 16, 18, pride goeth before a fall. Actually, the entire verse reads, pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. I think part of this negative attitude toward pride is really a warning against arrogance, which actually is good advice for us all. We need to maintain a healthy sense of humility. But if I'm honest, humility is not one of my strong suits. But I read a definition of humility once that really, really helped me put it in the right perspective. Humility means that you are still teachable. Humility means that you realize that you don't have all the answers and you have something that you can learn from everyone that you meet. It's remembering that no matter who I'm talking to, there's something that that person knows about that would be good for me to learn. That person has some sort of skill or ability that I lack, but that they have an abundance. Every person is capable of being my teacher. Healthy humility is not the same thing, by the way, as humiliation. Humiliating other persons is wrong, and being humble does not mean you have to put up with being humiliated. But in teasing out that difference between healthy and unhealthy pride, I think uh, the first beatitude from Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount can be very helpful. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I used to always wonder, what does it mean to be poor in spirit? But another way to say that is, blessed are those who realize that they are spiritually needy. 
And I really like the way Eugene Peterson translates this beatitude in his wonderful translation of the Bible entitled The Message. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there's more of God. And with more of God, maybe we can begin to see ourselves as God sees us. So how does God see us? Well, I think we can get a hint from that from the scripture passage that Michael read earlier. I think it will give us an insight. For it was you, God, who formed my inward parts, who knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes beheld my unformed substance, in the book of life, were, in your book were written all the days that were formed for me when none of them as yet existed. So think about that. As you were being formed in your mother's womb, God was looking on. Nothing was hidden from God's sight. Indeed, it was God who was knitting you together. And if God knit you together, then it must have been God's good intention to knit you as a gay or transgender child of God. Your very frame, including the DNA that pulses through every cell of your body, was not hidden from God's sight. God beheld your unformed substance and declared it very good because you were fearfully and wonderfully made. My very good friend Greg Neal, who people of this congregation now have got a chance to meet, he made this observation as a pastor himself. He had seen that after 30 years of pastoral experience, he had frequently witnessed the deliverance of parishioners from all sorts of afflictions. He witnessed people with God's help be delivered from addictions of all varieties. He saw people break free from abusive and unhealthy relationships. He beheld people that were healed of their mental and physical ailments. Yet he never witnessed a person be delivered from their gay or trans identity. Even people who had really, really tried for years, they found that they just simply could not will themselves to be straight or, or cisgender. In the end, you cannot pray away the gay. So if God is willing to deliver us from so many of the afflictions that bind us, but does not deliver us from being gay or trans, maybe this means that God is just not all that interested and making us straight or cisgender. In almost every workshop, I've encountered people who said that they used to go around to churches testifying how God had healed them of their homosexuality. But after years of doing this, they finally had to admit that in truth, it never went away. And now they're angry at themselves for having wasted so many years of their lives. Maybe it's not the state of being gay or trans from which God wants to deliver us. Maybe it's the feelings of shame and self-loathing for which God so longs to deliver us. And then, as Jesus said, to gather us together as a hen gathers a brood under her wings, if we would just let him. Of course, feelings of shame are not limited to LGBTQ folks. I think one of the great tragedies of life that I have observed as a pastor and as a friend is that people who have been victims or survivors of violence or abuse 
whether it's physical or emotional, verbal or sexual, they internalize a profound feeling of shame oftentimes. Instead of the abusers bearing the shame, which is how it should be, it's often the recipients of abuse and violence who carry that burden of shame deep within their very souls, where there it can become a festering wound that can end up sucking all pleasure out of life. Each one of us, even if we're not a particular recipient of abuse, though, we still carry, to some extent, a burden of shame, a burden of shame that God wants to heal. All of us, at least occasionally, still have that small voice sometimes speaking in the back of our heads that says we're not good enough and what we're doing is not enough. Because you see, shame is just part of the human condition. The first time I was up for ordination was in 2018. But even after this long, drawn-out, three-hour interview, they told me that I was going to be deferred for a year. I had told pretty much everybody that I was going to be ordained that year, and now I got to tell just about everybody that no, I was not going to be ordained this year. It was the most embarrassing experience of my life. And I told myself I had nothing to be ashamed of, but there was still that little voice in the back of my head, and to be honest, I did feel ashamed. It took me several months to reframe what had happened to me. First of all, I learned that, no, you will not actually die of embarrassment. It'll feel like it, but you will not die of embarrassment. But I also learned to trust God and to trust God's good timing. I began to see that being ordained in the following year, 2019, was exactly the right time for me to be ordained. Because you see, in early 2019, the United Methodist Church had gone through a very divisive and ultimately very disappointing general conference where the restrictions against clergy conducting same-sex weddings and restrictions against LGBTQ clergy were tightened. So when, as I, when I was ordained later that year as the first openly LGBTQ person ordained in the southern jurisdictions of the United Methodist Church, I ended up having a lot greater impact than it would have ever garnered if I had been ordained as I was originally scheduled to be the year before. It became a sign of hope to others and a sign of hope to myself that God is ever ready to deliver us from the chains of our own shame. We just need to see ourselves the way God sees us, as fearfully and wonderfully made. The young woman in the coming out workshop, the one who couldn't throw her paper away, Thankfully, she came back the next week, and she did go ahead, and she, she finished uh, the workshop, but it remained obvious to me that she was deeply depressed, carrying around an incredible amount of shame, and, and I feared that she might hurt herself or worse. She told me that the pastor of her church had called her an abomination. I pleaded with her to go find another church. But sometimes, just as an abused child will still cling to their parent, she could not leave the church in which she grew up. So therefore, she internalized those messages. Now, it's not unusual for participants of our coming out workshop to retake it 
and we always welcome them back. It happens frequently. So I was delighted a year later when the same young woman walked in on that first day of our workshop. Only this time, this time she was beaming and telling us how she had finally left her old church and found a new church where they loved and accepted her and a new pastor who told her that she was fearfully and wonderfully made. She had prayed to God for deliverance, but God did not deliver her from being gay. God delivered her from a toxic church and then delivered her to a church where the true gospel of God's outrageous love in Jesus Christ was preached and believed and more importantly practiced. Trinity United Methodist Church is such a church. If you have yet to find a church home, you are going to be welcomed and affirmed here, I promise you. But listen to me. If your current church is making you feel ashamed, if you leave there convinced that God could never love someone like you, that you're worthy of nothing more than God's wrath and fire and brimstone, please get out of that church. Find a church where you can truly belong. The message that you are hearing is not bringing you closer to God. It's only alienating you from God and the grace that God so wants to shower upon you. Never forget that you are a precious child of God and you have truly been fearfully and wonderfully made. Amen. If you need, I wanted to make sure this was available to you. If you need help, if you're thinking about hurting yourself, please contact thetrevorproject.org. Thetrevorproject.org. They're there to help you. Don't forget June Harrison's birthday party uh, right at our worship service. And know that you can always find recordings of our service on our Facebook page, on our website, tumcd.org, um, on our podcast, Jane's Most Excellent Adventure. And now it's going to, can I say that we're now on YouTube channel as well? Yes, our brand new YouTube channel. Wonderful. And, and don't forget uh, our other new podcast, The Skeptic's Box. Now receive this benediction. Beloveds, let us go with hearts full of courage that we might practice love that disrupts bigotry. Let us go with minds open to experiencing God in ways strange and unexpected, in ways ordinary and everyday. Let us go with joy for the creator of all life goes with us. In the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We hope today's service was a blessing to you. Join us every Sunday here on Facebook Live at 11 a.m. Join us again next Sunday as we continue our three-part sermon series, Gay is Good, Lessons I Have Learned from Being an LGBTQ Pastor. You can always access our services through our website, tumcd.org, our Facebook page, and our podcast, Jane's Most Excellent Church Adventure. It is also now available on YouTube. If you like what you're hearing, you can also support our ministry with your gift through our website, tumcd.org. God bless you in the week ahead, and we'll see you Sunday at Trinity United Methodist Church.